0: Welcome everybody to hope so glad that you're with us this morning. Thank you for enduring the sweltering heat to be here You guys clearly love jesus because you're willing to worship him even in the hottest weather. So give it up for yourselves congratulations uh so, somebody asked me recently, uh, do I ever watch my um, my messages after I Speak them and uh, I don't know you've have you ever done this before have you ever like, um hurt uh, yourself on your answering machine and you just cringe until you die. Yeah, it's kind of like that. So I don't. I don't really like watching myself on, uh, afterwards. But I do hear that you know if you do that, if you do watch yourself back, you learn stuff. You can get better. Um, I just watched this past week, and the first cringe moment was just realizing that. Uh, I was wearing my sunglasses on my shirt the whole time. I just felt like a dope-like about that. Um, and then, but then what really got me, and I swear I do this way too much. Like, I just either forget to say words in the middle of a sentence, and I, I don't notice it at all. Or I just, like, change a key word to something that is not the right word at all. So, at last week, I don't know if any of you noticed this, but I said that, I said that uh, Moses led the Israelites out of Jesus. I died, like, 4,000 times. yeah. <laughs> Is <laughs> it, horrible. It was embarrassing, um, which is, you know, kind of relevant to what we're talking about as far as emotions goes, because we're talking about emotions. You know, embarrassment is an emotion. It's one that a lot of people, you know, some some people experience a lot more of it than others, and uh, and would like some healing from that. And we're and we're talking about um, that sort of thing in this series, because uh, we're talking we're in a series called Thinking for a Change, and we're talking about the relationship between our thoughts and our emotions and a lot of different other aspects of our lives. Uh, it's, uh, it's based, uh, or this, this series is inspired by a verse from Romans that Paul wrote. Paul was an apostle in the first century who was a church planner and would chant, plant churches and move on to another city and plant a new church and write letters to other cities. And then we have some of those letters that he wrote in the Bible. And one of those letters called Romans was a letter he wrote to some Jesus followers in Rome, and he said this to them. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but Be transformed by the renewing— that's my hand motion for renewing, apparently. I just noticed myself doing that. I'm going to watch that back later and wonder what the heck I was thinking— by the renewing of your mind. Now, what, what does your mind do? Your mind thinks. What does it think? It thinks thoughts. So if God is going to renew our mind, He is going to renew our thoughts. He's going to change the way that we think. He's going to take older inaccurate thoughts and replace them with new, true thoughts. You see, God knows everything, so he knows what is true. And when we believe what he believes, we believe what is true. And He wants to replace our false thoughts with his true thoughts, because when we see the world the way it actually is, the way that God sees it, because he sees it how it actually is, because he knows everything, our lives go far, far Better. now how does this transform us how does renewing our mind transform us well really any change in your mind any change in your thoughts has a transforming effect because um, what you believe what you think is true will affect it will affect your body it will affect your emotions and it will affect your uh, behavior as well. So we talked about last week how when you believe something bad is going to happen, when you have these beliefs about the future that are negative, the resulting emotion is going to be fear. And your body's going to respond to that. It's going to respond by increasing your, uh, your heartbeat, uh, its speed, or how hard it's pounding. It's going to uh, respond by shortening your breath or making you sweat. It's going to do things to help you either fight or uh, go into flight mode to keep yourself safe. And, of course, it's going to affect your behavior as well. So, you know, you're probably going to avoid the thing that you're afraid of. Now, one of those beliefs about the future that causes a lot of fear that a lot of people struggle with is the belief, I am the only one, or I'm sorry, uh, that if people find out about who I am or what I've done or what I'm like on the inside or what I'm going through right now, They are going to reject me. They're going to want nothing to do with me. They're going to want to leave me. And I'm going to be all alone. It's going to be extremely painful. So this is a belief about the fear, right? I'm going to, or people are going to, people are going to reject me if they find out what I'm actually like. So this is fear. And of course, this fear thought is going to affect your behavior, your body, and your emotions. It's going to make you feel fear. It's going to make, this belief is going to, you know, make your body respond. So maybe your heart rate increases. And it's going to perhaps make you avoid Situations where people might get to know you better, avoid situations where you, uh, or or conversations where you have to be more transparent. You might try and steer the conversation away from certain topics so people don't find out about something about you that you're nervous about. Or for some people, if they're really afraid, they might avoid people altogether because they're so nervous of what other people might do if they find out what's really going on on uh, the inside. Now, uh, another, another fear or, or, or thing that people believe that can cause a, a change in emotion and body and behavior is this belief that things are never going to get better. They're going to be stuck right where they are. Uh, I'm never going to get out of this addiction. I'm never going to get out of the debt. My marriage is never going to heal. My body is never going to get better. And in fact— This is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because when you believe that there is no hope for you, first, you'll feel hopeless. Second, it's going to affect your behavior. It's going to cause you to not do things that might actually improve your situation because why would you try to improve in any of these areas you believe are hopeless if they are, in fact, hopeless? Nothing you do is going to change the reality of the situation, and it's going to affect your body, too. It'll probably release some, you know, stress hormones and, and things like that. Or many people have beliefs about their identity. They believe, you know, I am a failure. I am a loser. I am worthless. I'm failure as a father. I'm failure as a lover. I'm a failure as a student. I'm just a failure as a person. And that's going to cause changing your emotions. It's going to cause you to probably feel shameful, because we feel shame when we believe negative things about who we are, negative things about our identity. And it's going to, affect your behavior. You're probably not going to, you know, try to be successful, because failures don't succeed. They fail, so there's no point in trying to succeed. Um, And it's probably going to affect your body in various ways as well. So we see this strong relationship between what we believe and what happens with our body and emotions and our, uh, and our behavior as well so what do we do about that well if god's going to wants to transform us by renewing our mind it's in our thoughts that's going to make the difference right it's in our if if we want to ch- make changes in our emotions and our behaviors and our body we're going to want to make changes in our beliefs the problem is many of these beliefs we have about our worth or about how the future is going to go are really hard to tell whether they're true or false, when they're inside of your own head. When you're with people you care about and they say these sort of things, if you're with someone that you care the most about, the person you love the most, the people that you care about the most, and they start talking about how they are never going to be happy again, you can see right away the, the flaw in that thinking. Or if you have someone you know who just says, I'm a complete failure you can immediately see all the things that's wrong with that. And yet, when some, somehow, when it's inside of our own heads, it's much harder to convince ourselves that these beliefs are, in fact, false. So what do we do about—how how do we change that? How do we change our thoughts when it's so much more convincing in our own minds than when we hear it come out of other people's minds through their mouths? Well, one of the ways we talked about last week, at least with uh, regards to fear— is uh, this uh, looking at this proverb that says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. We don't know the future and all of our thoughts that cause us to be afraid are about what's going to happen in the future. And the more convinced you are that you know exactly what's going to happen in the future, and the more convinced you are that that thing is going to be a negative thing, the more afraid you are going to feel. But when you realize, hey, wait a second, I'm not God. There's a lot I don't know. Your confidence in that belief starts to go down. And as your confidence in that belief, when you're not 100% sure, but you're 50% sure or 15% sure that thing is going to happen, you're going to feel a lot more relief from that fear. And as your fear goes down, you're more likely to not avoid the thing that you're afraid of. You're more likely to face it. And like we talked about last week, when you avoid what you fear, your fear grows. But when you face your fear, your fear goes. So um, that's one way we can deal with uh, one of our thoughts, our fear thoughts. But what about some of these other thoughts? What can we do about them that are so hard to, to to change when they're in our own mind, and yet we can recognize them as false in other people's minds. What do we do about that? Well, I want to talk about a different method today, and we're going to take a look at the book of Proverbs, just like this right here. The book of Proverbs was written uh, several thousand years ago, maybe 3,000, 3,500, its exact uh, original date is, you know... um, there's different theories about when that was, but it was written. Uh, the, the main authorship is attribu- attributed uh, traditionally to King Solomon, who was a king of Israel, who, um, uh, who was known for his wisdom, who was known for uh, God granting him superhuman wisdom. And uh, there are other wise people who contributed to this work in the Old Testament of the Bible as well. Now, here's here's one of the reasons we should listen to the book of Proverbs the Bible it has the most copies of any book in existence. So this is the most copied piece of wisdom literature you can get your hands on. And this is not just, you know, New York Times bestseller. This is all of history, way before the, the, the New York Times was ever created. So this is worth paying attention to. Clearly, it's made a huge act, impact in people's lives. And a lot of it's very common sense, but common sense we either don't want to believe or common sense we just need to remind ourselves of every single day. So here's what Solomon uh, or these uh, authors of these Proverbs have to say. And you're going to get the theme real quick here. They say, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Without Without counsel, plans fail But with many advisors, they succeed Plans are established by seeking advice So if you wage war, obtain guidance For by wise guidance you can wage your war And in the abundance of counselors, there is victory Now here's the good news about these proverbs They're very helpful even if you aren't trying to wage war which I don't think most of us are trying to do today, although when you go on YouTube and look at some of the people who are talking, it sort of seems like there's a lot of people who do want to wage war today. Um, but this is useful for all of us. Now, why, why would these people who are so wise, who have gone down in history as so wise, why would they repeat this same idea so many times, that we need counselors, that we need advisors? Well, it's because we don't know everything. There is a lot we don't know. We'd love to think that we have it all figured out, but we're only hurting ourselves by believing that, by not hearing other perspectives, by not hearing people outside of our own mind. And you see, when you have other, when, when you isolate yourself, When you isolate yourself, your thoughts become far more distorted. The more you isolate yourself, the more distorted your thoughts become. And the harder it is to tell that they are distorted. We need to surround ourselves with other people who have perspectives that can change what we believe about the way we see the world and what we believe about uh, ourselves. Surround ourselves with wise people, with uh, intelligent people and caring, and mature people. Um, We need other people's thoughts. This is a powerful way to find out the truth about what we're believing about ourselves, about our own worth, about what's going to happen in the future. We need to hear from other people to find the truth about what we are believing. Uh, So, for example, this belief I was talking about— well, I don't think I mentioned this one yet— but a a belief many people— struggle with is the belief, I am the only one struggling, or I am the only one struggling with this, or I am the only one who's struggling this much. I'm the only one who's got problems. That is a belief you will never find is false in isolation. That's a belief that you need caring people around you in order to find out the truth what you're believing there is in, is, in fact, not true. Now, that belief, I'm, I'm the only one struggling, that belief on its own isn't enough to make you feel that bad. It's accompanied by other beliefs. Like, if I'm struggling, it means that I'm a failure. If I'm struggling, people will not love me. If I'm struggling, people will not reject me. Or if I'm struggling this much, people will want nothing to do with me. And that's—the answer to that question, whether that's—or whether those uh, beliefs are true or not, you can't find the—whether that's—you can't find out that's false unless you have other people. The more you isolate yourself, the more you're going to think, if people find out how much I'm struggling, they're going to reject me. But you'll never know whether they reject you or not if you isolate yourself. It's something you can't find in isolation. In order to find the truth about it, we need to take what these authors of these Proverbs have to say about it. So, um, we've been talking, uh, announcing the last uh, few weeks um, about something we have called community groups. And community groups are groups of 8 to 12 people that meet during the week uh, to grow together in their uh, relationships with each other and in their relationships with God. And what happens is you meet for about an hour and a half or maybe a little bit longer, a little bit less during the week, you know, one night a week, and you get together. And we have sermon-based uh, community groups, which means we have discussion questions about the sermon from the previous Sunday. And we talk about these questions together and take a, look, a closer look at the scriptures from those Sundays and see uh, what they have to say about, uh, about God. And we learn from each other and we challenge each other, and we grow together, and we're able to gain perspectives that we did not have before we do that. It's intended to make us grow. We say this a lot. These, these rows we sit in, they're important. We learn so much, but the growth happens in community together with other people, and we're going to see why that is uh, real soon. But uh, in, in my group, you know, people show up, we have some snacks, we hang out, and then afterwards, we, uh, we have a time where people can say if there's anything they'd like to have prayer for, and um, no one's forced to say anything. No one's forced to pray out loud. Someone prays for all the prayer requests at the end. Um, Now, I don't know how this exactly started in our group, but like a couple months ago, I don't know how long ago it was. A few months ago, uh, I started like making, we'd always email out the prayer requests at the end to the group so they could pray during the week. And uh, we just started using clickbait head titles. Or Titles for the emails like uh, prayer requests your doctor doesn't want you to pray for 27 prayer requests number 11 will shock you 7 weird tricks for praying that will save on your dental bill 10 prayer requests from people you know but might not want to I prayed for my friends every day for a month This happened 10 things you need to pray for before, before buying a horse These 14 requests will make you think twice about eating gluten And you won't believe these prayer requests from the— You won't believe what these prayer requests from 1990s look like now. Now, that's completely irrelevant to what we're talking about. um, But it is kind of fun for us. And my my hope is that all community groups will be things where people enjoy being a part of them. They like the people that they're with. They have fun with them. And we're going to see in a little moment why that is so important. So... Um, That's kind of what community groups look like here at Hope, and... um, Sign-ups for our community groups are today. We're having them out on the patio after the service, and I want to encourage you to go to the tables you'll see out along this road over here and just take a look at the different clipboards that are there that represent the different small uh, community groups that are available. There'll be uh, leaders from the community groups. Buy those clipboards so you can talk to them, see what their group is like, and find one, and maybe you can decide to check one out. Now, these community groups, um, we understand that you might try one, and it might not— you know be the right fit for you that's okay we don't do drive-by guiltings it's okay to check it out and see if it's a good fit for you and if it's not maybe you can try a different one so those signups are today um and there's many, many reasons to sign up for, uh, for these community groups. But the one I'm, I'm focusing on today is it helps us to realize whether these painful beliefs we have about ourselves, about the world, about people, about the way things work, it helps us to see whether they are true or not. Like, I'm the only one who's struggling, like that belief. Now, if you go to a community group, no one's going like, to make you say, you're, you're not going to be forced to talk about what you're struggling with or something like that, but... When you go there, throughout the evening, in the context of a conversation about spiritual things, about God, about uh, Jesus, and in the context of people talking about things they need prayer for, you are going to hear other people talk about things that they are struggling with. And you're going to learn you're not the only one in this life who's got uh, a tough time. And that people— You'll you'll hear people share share things, and you'll notice the other people in the room do not reject and hate and abandon that person. And you're going to find out you know maybe I too could talk about this this stuff that's difficult in my life, and maybe I too will be able to be cared for and included and loved. Um, there's there's no way to find out whether. You are the only one struggling in isolation. I love what the Apostle Paul says in a, in a letter he wrote to the Galatians. He says, Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of what? Gentleness. That was the most gentle pronunciation of gentleness I've ever heard from anyone before. In a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Pay close attentions to yourselves that you are not tempted to. So, I'm not saying by reading this that when you go to your go-to group, um, you're going to have to confess all of your sin or something like that. But I'm saying this is the attitude believers, followers of Jesus, are to have towards people who are struggling with something. It's not to tear them down. It's not to hate them or condemn them for just the sake of condemning them or tell them what a horrible person they are. Uh, it is, is to restore them, meaning, yes, sin is a real thing. There are things we do that are wrong, but the goal is not to just hate someone because of it. It's to restore them and to do it with gentleness. We are here to build each other up with kindness. And if you are struggling with something, uh, people in your community group uh, who are following Jesus and following what Paul is saying here would be, uh, obligated to respond to you—not even obligated is the, the right word— but motivated to respond to you with a spirit of gentleness. That's the kind of group we are looking to develop here at Hope. Um, and you will find when someone responds to something you're struggling with, with a spirit of gentleness, you'll find, hey, that belief that, like, people are going to reject me when they find out who I really am, it's actually not true at all. Paul continues, he says, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if you want to fulfill what Jesus taught and commanded, if you want to fulfill his command to love each other the way that he has loved us, it means, one of the ways of fulfilling that is to carry one another's burdens. Jesus told us to love each other the way he loves us. So that means he also... Carries our burdens. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a psalm that says that God daily carries our burdens. And in fact, Jesus carried our greatest burden of all, the burden of our sin, to the cross to pay the punishment for our sins, so that we don't have to. But the idea here is that we are all carrying burdens. And when you go to a group, you're going to a place where you're going to find out you're not the only one carrying a burden, and there's going to be people there who, out of love and reverence for Christ, are willing to help carry your burden, and listen, and empathize, and care about you as well. Now, here's what's interesting about uh, saying carry one another's—here's uh, the interesting about carrying burdens. Uh, by letting someone carry your burden, in some situations, it can actually be a way of helping carry their burden. How, how is that? Well, if you have this belief that, you know, uh, I'm, the, uh, it, I'm the only one struggling, and, and a lot of people, you know, have this sort of belief. They're afraid for people to see what's going on on the inside, right? So we pretend like it's all together. We pretend like we know what we're doing, but we're afraid that everyone's going to find out that we're actually an imposter. Well, when you let someone carry—someone else carry your burden, you have to reveal that you have a burden, Right? And then they see, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one with a burden. And they feel more encouraged to be authentic as well and be open. And we're able to uh, find freedom from this lie that hurts us so much and causes so much embarrassment and shame and guilt that I'm the only one struggling. I'm the only one. uh, Everyone's going to reject me if they find out what's going on on the inside. Those sorts of lies. So by uh, by letting someone else carry your burden, you can actually sort of help them uh, with carrying their burden as well. So one of the things I often do in my group, this is not something I would ever recommend that you do. And I think I've said this before because someone m- mentioned that I do this who I didn't ever remember telling this to. So I must have said it in this sermon before. But I always just like, you know, when a new person shows up, just when they come in and say, all right, let's just go around the room, introduce ourselves, and say what our biggest regret in life is. And uh, usually there's a shocked look on their face, and then I say, I'm just kidding. And, and, and they kind of laugh and feel relieved. But the reason I do that is not actually because I'm uh, a sadist. It's actually, I'm a sadist for different reasons. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, the reason is because... Uh, I actually want to communicate, you know, we're not going to pry out of you uh, things that you're afraid of people finding out about you. That's not our goal here. No one's going to force you to confess all sorts of things or say what your biggest regret is here. But through the course of the evening and and throughout the— and as you continue to be part of a community group and you learn to trust people, you do find a place where you're more likely to feel comfortable opening up and finding freedom— and letting light shine in on the inside. Listen, our secrets are like mold. They grow in the dark. But when you tear open the walls and let the light come in, you start to find freedom. And I'm not saying you ever even need in a community group to confess everything you've done or say all of your struggles, but you may find somebody who you learn to trust more. And maybe even in just like a one-on-one or two-on-one sort of situation, you're able to talk about these things that have caused you a lot of pain and find healing because you learn that you are not the only one, and that people do not always reject you when they learn who you are. They care, they, they care about you. They want to restore you. They treat you with a spirit of gentleness, and they want to help carry your burden. So um, one of the greatest things about community groups, I find, is that they make you wiser. Um, I, I, I almost always share this verse when I'm talking about community groups because it's just such a powerful verse and we need a reminder about this. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. Listen, if you want to be wiser, big news flash here, surround yourself with people who are wise. In community groups, we are a group of people trying to learn to think like the person who is the wisest person of all time, Jesus Christ. We're trying to align our beliefs with his. We're trying to align our actions with his actions. We're trying to uh, align our behavior with his teaching. And so you're going to be around people who are learning to be like the wisest man of all time. And when you're around those people, it influences your thoughts as well. You think like them who are studying what Jesus has to say. And, you know, uh, if you're a believer, you're studying what Jesus has to say as well. And your thoughts are influencing theirs as well. And so together, you're becoming wiser, and you're bringing pieces to the puzzle that you might have missing because they might have something that you need to know. When you surround yourself with wise people, you become wiser. You walk with the wise, and it becomes wise. It's just a natural thing that uh, that happens. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, someone who hangs out with people who are foolish— You can suffer harm in two different ways. One, because who we spend our time with influences us, so you can become foolish in your thinking and foolish in your actions. Or you can suffer harm, even if somehow you manage to uh, avoid altogether this natural law of human behavior that we become like the people and think like the people we spend the most time with. Even if you could somehow avoid that, we would still suffer harm because actions have consequences, and foolish people make foolish actions and they have foolish consequences, and sometimes the consequences to their actions, you're the one who gets hurt for them. They might get off scot-free and you're left picking up the pieces. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Um, so walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harms. Now now suffers harm. I know parents would love their kids to memorize this verse, right? Because you've seen the way your kids act differently depending on who they're around, right? Some of the kids they're around, they uh, think differently. Some of the kids they're around, they behave differently. Some of the kids uh, they spend time with, they misbehave more often. And you would love for your kids to latch on and uh, adopt this verse. And if you are a parent, I'd really encourage you to, to talk to your kids about this verse. Help them memorize it, because uh, I've, I've worked with junior hires and high schoolers for a um, long time now. And this is one of the verses that when we talk about gets the most traction. And I've, I've had kids, you know, write to me after they've graduated and just say, you know, that, that concept was so powerful. And I'm seeing just how true that is. And really heartfelt, meaningful messages. This, this gains traction with kids. And oh my gosh, is it powerful. Now... Um, all of us as adults would love to think this is best applied to teenagers and kids, right? They're the ones who are most influenced by the people around them. Not us. We're adults. We're mature. That doesn't affect us anymore. But in reality, it's true of all of us. I mean, these, the, these proverbs were not written to, like, children. They're written to adults because it's true of all humans. And uh, we, we, we find reason to believe that uh, in a, a lot of different studies that have happened. In a book called The Willpower Instinct, Kelly McGonigal, who, is a, who was a uh, teaching professor at Stanford. Uh, Dr. Kelly McGonigal did a class on willpower and how to have it. Wrote a book called The Willpower Instinct, and she shares several studies that show the way that we are influenced by the people that are around us. She's uh, shown studies that show um, that goals are contagious, that when you're around people with goals for money, you're more likely to make goals for money. Um, Just thinking about other people can influence our desires. Like if you think about—it was shown that if you think about someone who smokes marijuana, you're more likely to smoke marijuana. If you think about someone who is trying to quit marijuana uh, or doesn't smoke marijuana, you're more likely—it decreases your uh, desire to smoke marijuana. Um, she talks about some studies that were done at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands that show that rule-breaking is contagious. These uh, researchers at this university would leave evidence of rule-breaking. So like there'd be a sign that said no bikes and a fence near it and the researchers, researchers would go and chain a bike to the fence. And other people who came by were more likely to ignore what the sign said if they saw Someone else had already broken the rules in the same way They'd also go to parking garages where people were supposed to put their shopping carts away And they'd see a shopping cart left Or they would leave a shopping cart out and other people were more likely to ignore the rules as well and leave shopping carts out But not only that people who uh, in the biking scenario uh, were not only more likely to ignore the sign They were more likely to take an illegal shortcut through a fence and uh, the people in the parking garage were more likely to dump litter on the ground if they had seen uh, these, these uh, shopping carts left out. So as much as we would love to believe that this verse does not apply to us, we are extremely influenced by the people around us, both in our thoughts, not, not both, but in our thoughts, in our desires, and in our behaviors. So this is true whether we like it or not. The question is, will we use it to our advantage? People are like currents, right? Are you going to put yourself in a current that's pushing you towards the type of person you want to be, or away from the type of person you want to be? Uh, You can, if you're swimming towards an island and there's a current swimming against you, you can probably still get to the island, but you're going to be exhausted and it's going to take way longer. Or you can put yourself in a current going towards the island, and you're going to get there way faster, and it's going to require require a a lot less uh, exertion. So it's up to you to decide whether or not you benefit from this reality about human behavior that's existed for thousands of years. Um, The author of uh, Hebrews writes this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works I mean, not only does just being around people who are trying to live like Jesus stir you up, but let's also figure out ways together to encourage each other to do things that are good, that are honoring to God, because God wants us to do things that are good. He wants us to be loving to other people and care for other people. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, meaning when Jesus returns— Drawing near. We want to be catalysts for each other, making it easier for each other to follow Jesus, and making it easier for each other to see the truth about these beliefs many of us hold on the inside that are robbing us of so much and torturing us for so long. Um, now, these groups, they're, they're great whether you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're a new Christian, or you're not even a Christian and you're just uh, either interested in checking out the faith. I mean, you don't have to believe to belong to one of these groups. You don't have to believe to belong at Hope. We would uh, love to have you be a part of uh, of Hope. Uh, but um, regardless of what your knowledge or experience with Christianity is, you can be a part of one of these groups, and you can learn a lot and be blessed by people who are trying to learn to love and live like Jesus. Um, it's a great place to make friends. Uh, I know that it's difficult to— Make friends because most groups of people—they're already, you know—they're already their group. They're—they have their friends. They're not looking for somebody else. But these groups were designed to—to to look for people who might be interested in being a part of a group, and that's a great way if you're trying to make some connections to be a part of one of these groups. And I'm not out trying to offer you some kind of magic bullet. Uh, That this is just going to solve all your problems And you're never going to have any sadness Or embarrassment or depression or anxiety again But as you surround yourself With people who are learning to think Like Jesus and live like Jesus You yourself are going to be more influenced To be like Jesus and when you follow Jesus I believe it will make your life better And it will make make you Better at life And I also don't want you to think the only Purpose, and the band can come back up right now That the only purpose of These sorts of groups Is to Is to benefit you Um, I hope that it does And I, I believe that it will That it will be a huge blessing to you But there are people in these groups Who are struggling with some of the same things That you're struggling with Who need to hear your Perspective Who need to hear your Encouragement Who need to hear your thoughts Who need to receive love from you, Being part of a, of a community group is not just a blessing because of what you receive from someone else. It's a blessing because of the way that you bless somebody else by being a part of it. That's why there's, you know, there's a lot of times you maybe even you're a part of a group regularly, and sometimes you're just like, I feel like I'm too tired. I, very rarely, I think, do people go to these groups when they're tired and afterwards think that was a poor choice. I should not have done that because there's other people who can be blessed by being there. And certainly, there are many people in here who will attest to the fact they've been blessed by being a part of this group. So my encouragement today is for you to find a group uh, on the patio, go check them out, go talk to the leaders, and just try it out. See if it works for you. Like I said, no drive-by guiltings. But God wants to renew your mind. He wants to transform you by renewing your mind. Sometimes he does that through reading the Bible. Sometimes he does that when you're praying. Many times he does it through other people. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the gift of, uh, of people. You could have made just one person, but you didn't. You made uh, each one of us and we are here because you want us to be here And you've given us a mission to care for other people Which means you've given other people a mission, which is to care for us So let us not miss out on being cared for Let us not miss out on being on caring for other people and god I just pray for people um who are are struggling with beliefs That are just hurting them really bad and they They just seem so true and it seems so impossible uh That this belief could be false. Would you change that belief, God? Would you take it out, take out the lies, and replace it with the truth? Jesus, you said you are the truth. You know all things. So bring healing, Jesus, to minds today that are hurt because they're believing lies. Show them supernaturally, in a powerful way, God, the truth who you are, how much you love, transform people today. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.